0: Hello and welcome back to the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Max Carlin. Max, how's it going today? I'm doing well, Ben. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, and uh, we have um, our token host PD back on at this
1: point. Uh, so, PD, how's it going? It's going well. Thank you guys for having me. Of course.
2: So today we're gonna we're gonna talk about um, just disappointing freshmen from this year um there were a bunch of them it was not an inspiring year of college basketball um i think the probably most logical place to start would be um the two duke like wing forward types who i don't know feature probably pretty prominently in a lot of draft twitter lotteries um wendell more less so in the mainstream but matthew hurt i think was pretty widely like a top 20-ish guy uh, and both were were top 30 or so RSCI guys. Um, and so, um, I mean, very, very different players, like pretty, pretty much like complete opposites, whereas Wendell Moore was, is, I think, the youngest player in the class. Matthew Hurt, pretty old. Wendell Moore, a very physically overwhelming uh, wing forward player. Matthew Hurt, very skilled and intelligent, but uh, strikingly physically underdeveloped. Um, so I guess before we, we go into, uh you know, what they were like at Duke, PD, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you thought of uh, – let's go with Wendell Moore, I guess, uh, pre-college.
0: There is no shortage of action going on with our partners over at betonline.ag. The sports world is slowly making its way back with the NBA announcing its return in late July. But right now, UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and international soccer have all resumed play, and BetOnline has the best odds slash lines for their best upcoming games and matches. Need more? BetOnline has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening live every day for our devout gamblers to check out. BetOnline also offers hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and the best props in the business. Visit BetOnline.ag on your computer or mobile device and join now to receive your welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online wagering
1: experts. Pre-college, Wendell Moore was probably the upside bet. Um, There are people who had him as like a top 10 pick um, with production at Duke and with uh, fitting into a system that has historically done well to big wings. Um, using that youth and his pretty monstrous wingspan uh, to really project forward. Um, The movement skills were a pretty obvious concern as was the creation ability. Um, But I think going into the year, there were a lot of people extremely excited to get him in the, um, into a a big time system and play a big time role with hurt. um, There was never a question of if he was going to produce, it was just how much that production would mean for what he gives back on defense. And I think the year kind of played out to some degree for both of them. Moore's youth, uh, didn't translate in terms of uh, exponential value. And Hurts' defense was a problem enough that Duke only played him half the time.
2: Yeah, I think there are interesting lessons to be taken from both of them. Um, I think with Moore, there was a lot of uh, irresponsible, maybe, projection going on with him or unfair, but... Um, Where he, you know, he had things like pretty solid decision making, uh, very, very impressive physically. Like he is a, a strong, uh, well-built player while being really, really young. Um, and he was obviously like a total outload outlier free throw guy for uh, a player that size. I forget exactly what the numbers are, but on a pretty good sample, I think like around 85%, which is really unusual for a, a six, seven player at that, uh, at that age. Um, but there was a lot of taking that foundation and projecting him as a star sort of prospect, which was never the appeal to me. And granted, I was I was fooled by Wendell Moore and had him way too high. But the appeal to me was kind of that he has a real chance to be this complimentary wing who is real pretty, pretty valuable on on defense. And then, you know, I, I bought him at the very least as a spot up guy and a close-out attacker. Uh, and a, a guy who could you know, finish through contact then after that and, and make solid decisions attacking closeouts. And there's a lot of value in that when you're just like a, a good wing who takes nothing away. But I think taking that to the extension of you know this guy, this guy has genuine star upside was probably where people went a bit too far.
0: Yeah, I think the, the free throw the free throw point is important because, I mean, Wendell Moore was still a, a very good free throw shooter at Duke, despite low volume. I think he was on 80% on like 60 attempts. And AAU stats has him at 86% on 114 attempts uh, in his last summer playing EYBL which um, AAU stats is I'm pretty sure is missing games so that number is incomplete but still um, a pretty significant sample and a very like Max said like especially for that age and, and size being kind of a free throw shooter is really rare but in terms of like actual you know shooting on the floor he, he didn't really show much I mean again like, besides not really being able to create for his own shot with you know just a really poor handle which was terrible in in high school probably a little bit better at Duke but still not great and no burst to to really get get to open spots. Um he was never that great as a pull-up shooter and he didn't really shoot this year at Duke either. I mean, he took less than 20 threes on the whole. Um and that's really concerning for his overall shooting projection as we talked about um plenty on this podcast the the importance of things like volume and versatility as as a shooter and i don't believe he took a lot of long twos anyway no, either
2: 27 no. of his shots were two-point jumpers and he shot 31 of them on them yeah and i yeah. think they were even for long twos they were actually they were pretty assisted around 40 assisted yeah. uh so he, these were not self-created long twos uh you know yeah, it, only it,
0: 13 makes yeah not, not great for shooting projection and, and, and again i mean He's. I, I mean, I'm not like. I don't have like the gre- the greatest feel on his passing. Uh, I didn't think it was great at Duke. Um, again, like a function of not being able to get to spots really at all and having no gravity on offense. Uh, and yeah, I mean, just concerns about what he does uh, going forward because I mean his youth. Um, as we talked about before this, before the before start recording, his youth was as an asset, but he's getting older, and if he doesn't put anything together as as he ages, that that youth becomes less less important and especially with the deuce roster construction next season bringing in so many talented freshmen um there's a real chance that he gets squeezed out of the rotation if he can't you know really make a step forward and and provide consistent impact on at least one end of the floor because i mean there were games and there were moments where he was you know he, he was able to physically overwhelm uh college opponents and you know get to the rim and and, and draw fouls another one thing he did well he did draw fouls well I believe um yeah yeah and then, and then defensively you know just being in the right spots but and and like PD said the the movement is definitely an issue but yeah I'm, I'm not so sure he's able to really stay in the rotation next year and if that's the case then it gets even murkier for his prospects as you know a future NBA guy
2: yeah, I think he did this year improve a little bit as a handler because in in high school it was really bad. Like he couldn't dribble at all. And it's not it wasn't like an Akoro level improvement where he was like you know actually fooling guys with his handle, but it I think it was a little less bad. Uh, that said, I mean, he was still terrified to shoot and couldn't finish at all. Um but the point of of Duke's uh you know incoming roster next year I think is really important. Uh, we, we've t- uh, talked about it a little bit in the past. I think maybe in one of the mailbags that yeah. they've got a weird group next year. Um, so they've got a bunch of forwards coming in to join Hurt and Moore, who are both returning. And of those guys, Jalen Johnson is pretty much a non-shooter. Jamin Breakfield is like a pretty good shooter. Um, and then they've got... Um, jeremy roach as a guard who's like pretty much a non-shooter stewart who's really good uh as a shooter and then uh what a couple bigs also who are are not big time shooters um so i guess pd how do you feel about more going forward especially in the context of this uh like really uh suboptimal roster that duke
1: has next year i think it's important to note that the handling can improve, but he's going to have even less opportunities next year. So he has to make more out of his handle with less of a chance. And with younger guys, they just need the chance to make mistakes. And there isn't really a certainty that that's going to happen. And the freshmen they're bringing in are much older freshmen. I think Breakfield is almost a full year older than him, if, if I have that correct. Yeah,
2: Br- Breakfield is, I th- is pretty solidly older than Wendell Moore. Yeah, he's, he's he's very old for the class and Moore, again, was, was the youngest player in the class.
1: And so we're in a situation where everyone that they've brought in has a singular skill, except for Wendell Moore, whose best skill might just be that he has a really high upside. Um, so, you know, with how Duke has built its rotations, if you can't bring exactly what K wants, you fall off. And this is sort of going to be a make-or-break summer for him, his skill development, where if he doesn't get the thing that makes K play him, like there's a really solid chance he could be back for a junior year. Yeah, and I think that. Oh, no, Ben, go ahead.
0: Yeah, that leans well. um, At least leans better for for a guy like Matthew Hurt, who again had similar struggles to Wendell Moore this season at Duke. You know, just really not being able to hang physically um, on both ends. You know, especially defense. But but Matthew Hurt uh, can shoot the hell out of the ball. He he always has, and that's one skill he has, and one skill that will get him on the floor, especially on a Duke team next year, like like we talked about that has really no floor spacing so hurt i mean hurt was i mean around like 60 percent efg on on catch and shoot jumpers this year uh was pretty good on pull-ups i believe in low volume Was overall just an awesome an awesome versatile shooter at six foot nine um so that's going to be a skill set that duke especially really really needs and even if hurt is taking away other like it's it, taking away the things with you know poor with um, worse defense than they could have got out of somebody else um or just less less creation or, or less rebounding or, or whatever that that shooting is really necessary and even if you know he's not playing great he's gonna have to see the floor which is going to allow him to you know have more reps and, and be able to improve and make mistakes because his leash is going to be longer um because he's going to shoot and duke just needs that shooting
2: yeah i mean i was pretty disappointed to see both of them return to be honest less so for hurt because um i like like you said i think he does have a a clear way like duke i think is just straight up going to need his shooting next year uh whereas wendell moore really could see himself possibly fall out of out of the rotation with all the forward talent that they have um but nonetheless like hurt is the one that i'm still definitely in on as opposed to kind of like tentatively optimistic which which is the the case for for more um because hurt like there aren't a lot of guys in the world who are 6'9 very good shooters uh pretty skilled ball handlers very smart pretty mobile like even even with a terrible frame and a tr- like a truly truly terrible frame hurt is uh, like very not very but fairly outlier in really really valuable categories um like you said i mean he's the shooting alone at that size is is extraordinarily extraordinarily valuable and the fact that he has diversity with it like he he can do the uh the clay thompson no dip off the catch shots because he just flings it like from his shoulder um but he's he's he is an incredible shooter um and, and that alone is is just highly valuable but i'm curious uh pd what you're what your like, in-depth thoughts were on on Hurt coming into the year.
1: Um, I deeply disliked Kay's uh, center rotation last year. I think that the thing that you needed to pair Hurt with was just somebody who covered the rim, and pairing him and running carry together um, seemed to be a failure from the start because you didn't have anybody who would erase the mistakes that were inv- invariably going to happen with Hurt and more. Uh, just some quick stats. Uh, for hurt, he was ninety-six percentile on post-ups, ninety-second percentile against half-court man, ninety-second percentile on all jump shots, ninety-first on on three-point jump shots, and ninetieth percentile on unguarded jumpers. He played fifty-point-five percent of Duke's minutes. It's yeah. it, it's mind-bending. <laughs> it's mind-bending and it's mind-bending because like any coach in America would have. Uh, put a shot blocker i mean the the one that's going to haunt matthew Hurt's bank account for some time is that he didn't go to kansas to play with doke yeah because that would have been the easiest thing in the entire world and uh that would been huge that, for too. and that yeah and it would have fit perfectly with their roster and i think kansas up until a very late point thought that they had this in the bag um and with with hurt he's going to play um there's still going to be weird lineups um and there's almost no way to build a normal looking lineup with the 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 group that Duke has, uh, because if you put like more passing next to hurt, like with Coleman, then you have to play Johnson at the two and then you can't get Roach and Seward on the court at the same time. Like there's it's a, going to be an insane puzzle box um, and one that I'm excited to watch in a somewhat perverse way. <laughs> um, but it's going to be one of those things where like on night by night basis, you're going to see a different team. Um, and maybe even by a half by half basis, because like looking at some of these splits from Duke last year, which had a not great but a little bit more clear roster situation in my opinion. Like there's still times where I'm like, why is Matthew Hurt not playing in this particular game? It can't be that difficult to scheme around things. Um, so yeah, I think that he's guaranteed to play. I think that his effectiveness might be a little bit weird, just just based on some of these extremely strange fits that Kay has selected around him.
2: Do you guys yeah. think that there's um? that there are any like larger lessons to be learned from either of these guys. Cause the one that, that like pops out to me with hurt is definitely accounting for something like a lack of functional strength where this year at Duke, he just, I mean, he just got bullied so badly. And I mean, it was obviously always going to be a problem, but at lower levels he was like, I think notably a a lot larger than everyone else. And just being six, nine and like legitimately very skilled as a shooter, as a handler and shot maker, is is really overwhelming when you're playing against that level of competition, but I, I mean, I think I think it was something that I had noted preseason even that's just like yeah, I, I have some some reservations about hurt as a shot creator because you know it, you can no longer overwhelm with size when you're six nine and like I don't know one ninety five or whatever he is. Uh, but I mean, do you guys have have like major takeaways from that, or do you think that um, you know these guys are are not necessarily isolated cases, but you're not making, you know, like large scale takeaways from these.
1: Yes. My biggest takeaway from both Hurt and Moore is that uh, analysts overestimate the discomfort level that coaches are willing to deal with on the floor. That, like, the first time that Hurt gets blown by, it's like, a maybe we'll take him out. And the second time that there's just an awful looking defensive possession, he's going to get yanked. And that we tend to think, like, oh, he's a five star. Oh, there's such a clear offensive value. But, like, looking, uh, like a seventh grade game at times is just something that high major coaches are not willing to to roll with, even if there is long-term benefits for it.
2: Do you think that's more of a college thing, or do you think that applies as well to uh,
1: the NBA, for example? I think that there's more trade-off in the NBA. Like, I think that because teams are a little more set, there are things that coaches just allow to happen. Like D'Antoni just has things that he's going to let occur. Um, and temperament, you know, mileage varies. But in college specifically, like, I just think that there's such a uh, a high level placed on competence and, like, this idea of maturity that when things look a little bit wonky or, you know, like, juvenile, coaches will just snap out of it and say no.
2: Because this kind of makes me, like, vividly picture how SEC teams – started to cover Isaac Okoro as, as conference play progressed, where they just completely ignored him as a shooter and just used that defender to sort of gum up things off the ball. And I mean, it's definitely worrisome for a prospect like that, where I think we've, we've discussed in pretty good depth that you need, you need to handle him in a very specific way. And if coaches are made uncomfortable by that, that's pretty concerning because Isaac Okoro is, is not a guy that you can just throw out there and expect things to function normally. Um, so if that if that's a problem that you think persists across various levels that would be very concerning to me for for someone like Akoro um in addition to to of course like hurt um but yeah I think it, I think it's, it's a it's definitely a worthwhile point um and it makes sense so oh. no go ahead Ben
0: yeah. I mean it makes sense at least at the college level that these coaches would especially like the big blue blood kind of coaches would have less investment in the development really of their of their specifically like their five-star guys who they expect to be one and done um and you know like playing through matthew hurt's mistakes um is definitely going to be beneficial for hurt long term but it doesn't really benefit duke if they expect him to leave after one year and don't expect to reap any of the benefits now that. so that makes sense and i think um you know it, it just makes just gives you more interest especially relating this to you know the nba whether you know coaches are more or less likely to allow guys to play through mistakes and that obviously is going to vary by team and you know vary by situation but you know hoping to see more expansion within things like the g league to have like a more designated environment for players to get reps and 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 rookies specifically to get reps and and make mistakes because like even the good rookies like rookies aren't like good generally i mean and that's like a different thing from other sports i think specifically the nfl where like a lot of rookies come in and are like the best players on their teams, or some of them. In, in the NBA, it just doesn't really happen. So you know, yeah, I mean, hopefully, there's more of an avenue for these guys to you know make mistakes and develop because like, like, especially for guys like Akora or, or guys like Hurt who just aren't physically good enough to 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 really hang. And if they don't have a chance to, you know, if their body's lagging behind, then that means they're their their actual skill development will as well if they're not able to you know make play play actual basketball and, and make
1: improvements in games yeah i would ag- i would agree with that um nfl idea i would say that um in any sport where there's an isolation event like you know a pitcher swing or a pitcher throwing the ball batter can hit it like those allow youth to make more impact because there isn't ex- the expectation of well-rounded uh application so I think the easiest comparison is like international soccer, where 17 year olds can like do good in really small moments, but when you expect them to have these overarching organizational uh, impacts, it's just not going to happen. Um, the lesser their job, the better. Um, and I think you're going to see a lot of that carry over as we look at the G League and uh, we look at these younger players across the stratum.
2: Before we yeah. um before we move on to
1: the the next uh, disappointing
2: freshman. I want to like uh, add a segment that we hadn't planned for, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make you guys I'm gonna put you guys on the spot. Uh, are after their dis- disappointing freshman seasons, are you buying or selling Wendell Moore and Matthew Hurt? Uh, I guess we'll start with Ben. We'll give PD some extra time.
0: Um, I'm prob- like eh, I'm probably I'm probably gonna be neutral to buying on Hurt and selling on Moore, and I think a lot of that comes to just the you know le- like we talked about the rotational flexibility that I believe these guys are going to have next year because with hurt I mean even aside from the shooting and we talked about how weird the roster constructions are going to be with just just the talent Duke has I think hurt allows you with more more malleability there because aside from just being able to shoot I mean assuming he gets more of a leash and is allowed him, like to do more things with the ball because I mean at Duke this this year's freshman he wasn't really given the the space to to create or, or play with the ball at all but he can really like make decisions and he can pass uh better than he shown um I at Duke and especially in transition as like a grab-and- go guy he showed that a lot in, in FIBA and in uh UAA too where he's just besides being bigger than guys he, he's really smart and pretty coordinated for a guy his size so I just think that works better you know trying to you know help you know he, he, he has the passing and and the shooting potentially and the decision-making acumen to make to Potentially cover for weaknesses of some of the freshmen and maximize them. Or, I mean, we keep talking about more of just skepticism that he's really going to get in rotation. And I wanted to make one more point uh, before we moved on to, aside from this, you know, uh, another takeaway from this. And that relates to more for me. And that's really to buy less into like isolated indicators and look more at like the full package. Because, I mean, when you look at, I mean, more, yeah, I, I mean, if you list off indicators, you, I mean, super, I mean, super young um, high free throws on high volume and crazy wingspan. I mean, those, those three things are like invariably positive for any prospects and just putting those together. I mean, that was thing that I overvalued was, you know, he has all these indicators. He's going to put it together without really thinking more critically about what the whole package looks like and what it's going to look like when it translates. And when you look at the whole, you know, the whole of Wendell Moore as a prospect, you see a lot of issues, you know, it doesn't really matter if he, can you know if he's a great free throw shooter? If he can't get to spots to hit shots, you know, doesn't matter if he has a great wingspan, if he can't get to the rim and finish. Um, so I think just looking more, I, I don't know, I don't know if holistically is the word, but it's uh, again, I mean, just being more complete in, in analysis and not taking these indicators at, at really as face value and, and looking deeper into a player, but yeah, I mean, back to yeah, you know, I, I guess like buying, buying hurt, selling more is, is what I'd go with.
1: PD, I would. I would buy more or buy Hurt um just because he he does the thing that everybody swore up and down that he would do. Um there's never been a doubt from like, you know, from age fifteen on that Matthew Hurt would shoot the hell out of the ball with a high release point. Um uh, and as he gets further along uh up the, the basketball ladder, there's gonna be more fives who can cover up his weaknesses and more need for spacing. Um I would have to sell my very large amount of stock in more unless he can transfer to like Houston or something, um, get him to Kelvin ASAP. Um, then I would, I think that your point about um, disparate uh, tools is, is really valuable because it doesn't matter how many indicators there are. If there's not a larger plan for them to get reps, it doesn't work. Like I think that more is indicative of that point because he did not get the opportunity to really, overexpose himself to the game and while practice reps are valuable, like he needs to make mistakes to see what he can do and really explore the studio space. Um, And as we're going to get to, when we talk about some of the Kentucky guys, like if you are a younger player who does not have a extremely specific skill getting to a place where they will let you rock out is so important.
2: Yeah, I I'm with you guys. I'm buying hurt pretty big time for next year just because i think they're going to need him like they're going to need that shooting with uh the roster that they have and just generally i i mean i think we've we've kind of beaten this to death that what hurt has is a really valuable skill set even if he is a pretty flawed player um more i'm selling in the short term like i, I kind of think that he'll he'll stay at school but maybe transfer after next year in which case maybe long term i'm still kind of tentatively in. Just because he does, he has a really good body, and you know there just aren't that many guys uh, at that size with, with um you know those physical tools. Uh, and then you know there's the the touch indicators are still there to you know to some extent, but yeah for not for next year I'm I'm certainly not buying him. Uh, so I, I would think probably he'll be maybe maybe a disappointing sophomore in addition to a disappointing freshman. Um. Should we move on now to Trey Mann, the Florida point guard? Sure. So uh, Trey Mann was a guy who had fans in draft Twitter and had skeptics. I was among the fans, not sure about you guys. But the whole appeal with Trey Mann, uh, small guard, not a great decision maker, but a ridiculous pull-up shooter with crazy range and really, really good change of direction, so he could really set up ball screens. Um, he could, with that threat of the pull-up, leverage that to then, uh, you know, get into the defense. Just because he could sharply change direction and absolutely lose people. But I mean, just a, a small guard who's not a very good decision maker, uh, not like an overwhelming athlete. Aside from the the change of direction stuff, that doesn't leave you with a lot of margin for error and there are just so many guys at lower levels who are exactly like that um and trey man really really struggled at uh at florida he didn't shoot particularly well the decision making was very bad uh he just on the whole wasn't very good um so pd were you a were you a trey man believer coming into the year or a skeptic
1: i think i was a lot more skeptical than the people on draft twitter um the Florida context really scared me um, because I, when I saw uh, Trey in high school, he it was very much like a, a Norman, Oklahoma, Trey Young situation <laughs> where like he, he got all the shots, he got to do what he wanted to. And the adjustment from that to like sometimes playing off ball or having 10 star sessions where you don't touch it, like that's a really different way of processing the game. And if the jumper is not going, uh, then it gets even harder. Um, And I think that we saw a lot of that. Like, he'd struggled to generate offense when he didn't have the ball in his hands. He's undersized. The finishing's not great. And he uh, struggled to get to the free throw line. So I think that if, you know, Nemhard wasn't there or uh, the offense was run a little bit differently or, you know, different priorities were put in place, I would have bought the context more. But it just seemed to me like a perfect storm of like, if he starts to shoot at a normal rate, because again, in high school, like he had games where he got ludicrously hot. Um, If that, Normalizes to you know a level that might be worse, or you know if the lifting doesn't really take to him, um, then he could be in trouble, and that's sort of what we saw play out this year. And then you get the defense issues out on top of that.
0: Yeah, I think I, I mean, I was not as big a fan as Max, but I was still on the optimistic side when it came to, to Trey Mann. And and what I take away from Mr. performance at Florida is just like how I underrated how much of how much the physicality and the burst would really be an issue. I mean, because when you watch him play at Florida he just struggled so much to to get to the rim and to and to really create as much space as he should be able to with you know with that elite handle and that really elite you know shiftiness and, and change of direction I mean this season at Florida only 17 percent of his shots came with the rim and he shot 48 percent on those and it was just so evident with you know that he had not not nearly enough burst to to get into the defense consistently, not strong enough to draw fouls, not explosive enough to to jump and finish, and I I just think again like similarly to hurt, though different, you just I I should have been more wary of that lack of physicality on both ends because I mean there were still good moments um, with Trey man, there were certain games I think like the the last Georgia game off off the top of my head, he had like quite a few good you know, change of direction moments, creating for threes. And I think generally he was like, like, like I didn't hate the activity when it came to his defense um, off the ball, but he was just too too small and and not athletic enough to to really make a difference. So yeah, I'm just skeptical because he's going to have to be a really good shooter to make it work because he just has nothing inside the arc um, in terms of getting to the rim. And I, I mean, if you were a better passer, I might be more in, but again, that's, that's, that's a more difficult part of this game to parse, especially, you know, he's certainly not an off ball passer, which, you know, he wasn't able to do at Florida and with Nemhard gone um, this year, he could potentially, you know, I'm, I'm very interested to see um, him play again this year with him definitely getting more reps on the ball, you know, with Nemhard transferred. Um, See if he really can, you know, see what the passing looks like more on ball. See if he can keep some sustained, you know, shooting success over a long period of time, because he really is going to have to be a great shooter um, if he, yeah, uh, if he's going to be an NBA prospect at this point, so
2: I think two big mistakes that I made with Man were, uh, one just because I liked him, thinking that overestimating the chances of him improving on his weaknesses, which is definitely I think something that we're all guilty of with prospects that we like, whether it's, uh, you know, stylistically or just, um, you know, I mean, it could be guys who are, who are very good and enjoyable to watch, but you're just you're too generous with the evaluation there um and then the other thing was that i just didn't hold him to the same standard that i do for small guards normally uh i I think we have a well-established tradition on this podcast of being fairly skeptical of tiny scoring guards uh and that's what trey man is uh and yet i i still bought in um I, I maybe maybe I was I was influenced by just having the small sample Garland thing the year before because I do think there are some similarities there in terms of a guard who's really his game is built around pull up shooting and kind of change of direction stuff, um, but yeah I, I just think that it was it, w- it was getting caught up too much in that um, which which kind of brings me to the question of whether or not you guys think Trey man still has a chance to break out because like Ben said, Nemhart is, is transferring now. Uh, Trey man, like conceivably should have a chance to be the guy there. Um, so I'm curious what you guys think. My, my inclination is kind of just that I think he could be a pretty good, uh, college scoring guard. Uh, I'm, I'm skeptical of him as a, a serious NBA guy, but, uh, like like Ben said, the, the change of direction flashes were still there. The pull-up flashes were still there. I mean, in, in the half court, he was actually 74th percentile and off the dribble jumpers. Like, he shot pretty well. It just, you know, it's not the nuclear level that he'd have to be at to be a, a real prospect at that size and with those decision-making flaws. Um, like, one of the things that I brought up with him preseason was, was the idea of kind of the inverse of what we talked about with Kyra Lewis with the touch skill between – off the dribble passing and off the dribble shooting uh i thought trey man maybe because he was such a such a brilliant off the dribble shooter that maybe there were some off the dribble passing functionality things there uh not in terms of decisions but just in execution of passes and i remember watching one of the preseason games and he was he was just like very casually and and um smoothly throwing these these like live dribble passes and well while they weren't you know anything impressive from a decision standpoint it's just like okay this is this is to a point where if he has significant scoring gravity and there are easy decisions to be made then he can act on them uh, but i you know that's only so rel- that's only relevant if you're such a good scoring gravity guy anyway and and he probably isn't anywhere but the three point line even best case scenario um so so are you guys what are you guys thinking Going forward with Trey Mann,
0: I'm probably still selling at this point. Um, I don't have a ton of confidence after seeing, you know, looking at the necessary improvement areas. I think he just has to be such a better, so much better, of a shooter um, than he already is, and he's already a pretty good shooter. Like Max said, I mean, he was good this year in low volume, and I, I mean, I just don't think there's much room for improvement when it comes to that frame, which is really my big issue. And I, I don't know. I, I mean, college, good, college, good college scoring guard, I think, is definitely in the cards for Trey Young. Trey Young, for Trey Mann. <laughs> and I think he's probably at his peak, you know, like probably a three, four year guy, in my opinion, and probably going to end up being a pretty solid college player. But again, I just am skeptical. Like you said, small scoring guard. Um, without any real plus passing or physicality. So yeah, and, and especially just not trusting Mike White, not trusting Florida as an infrastructure and as an ecosystem for good development. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm unfortunately saying my, my Trey Man stock is is, is is on the market,
1: so. I'm probably gonna buy Trey White stuff. Uh, I think that uh, they didn't bring in a single guard for next year. Um, they're all wings and forwards. Um, I think that this year's shooting was probably like a 50th percentile outcome for him, um, in terms of the level that I probably think of him as a shooter. Um, so he's going to get more reps. Uh, the thing that I would like to most, um, be most interested in is the, is the, uh, is the finishing and it doesn't even have to be by percentage. It just has to be by free throw. He did not get to the line enough, and it's difficult to be a player who lives and dies off off the dribble jumpers if you can't credibly threaten to get yourself into the rhythm at the free throw line. Um, So he's going to have an opportunity next year to put up uh, some pretty heavy numbers because I don't really feel great about the rest of the creation burden. Um, You know, you have shooters with Dev and uh, Niles Lane. I think that there's an opportunity for him to rise into the second round um, for just having a nuts creation season. And for guys who can get that hot, I think he's good for uh, a couple games where you look back and say, oh, I, I see the freshman version that I really – or the high school version that I really bought into, not the freshman version that really scared me.
0: There is no shortage of action going on with our partners over at betonline.ag. The sports world is slowly making its way back with the NBA announcing its return in late in July. But right now, UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and international soccer have all resumed play, and BetOnline has the best odds slash lines for their best upcoming games and matches. Need more? BetOnline has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening live every day for our devout gamblers to check out. BetOnline also offers hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and the best props in the business. Visit BetOnline.ag on your computer or mobile device and join now to receive your welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online wagering experts. Oh no! Those are the screams I used to make when I would cut myself shaving before I knew about Manscaped. Thank you Manscaped for turning my loud shrieks into multiple peaks. Men, start taking notes because Manscaped accidents are finally a thing of the past. The Manscaped Lawn Mower 3.0 has been beautifully designed to reduce those painful nicks and tugs. This is their third generation trimmer, featuring advanced skin safe technology so you keep your bad boys nice and smooth. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The water resistant technology allows you to shave in the shower too. One of the coolest features is the LED light which illuminates grooming areas for closer and more precise trimming get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code armchair your balls will thank you
2: so i know you guys weren't huge fans but another guy who i liked coming into the year was trey Mann's uh au teammate on uh e1t1 um cj walker who who went to oregon last year uh, didn't play much, wasn't very good, and transferred to what was it, UCS? Yeah. yeah, yeah, um, so the appeal of Walker to me was that with E1T1, he, he kind of like played like a big uh, and was a pretty good interior defender. He was at 2.4 uh, blocks a game on uh, on AAU stats, they have him at a nine percent block rate, uh, and he was really good at that. And then, meanwhile, with his, with his um, high school team. And these games these games were pretty hard to find and they were, were not numerous and they were not good quality. They were like the the handheld parent on the sideline situation. Um, but with with his high school Love team, those. he did he did a lot more like perimeter creation and he had he had some flashes as a handler and as a passer. Uh, and I bought into the combination of those two things in this guy who is who's like six seven and a pretty good athlete, uh, who also just ha- had like a very, very good motor. Um, the, the reason that I think that I, I fell for CJ Walker when I shouldn't have was that I bought into perimeter flashes with him. And I think that's an especially bad thing to do because I'm so aware of how perimeter flashes get big men, uh, overrated at that level. So like with Wiseman, that was obviously a big problem that, you know, every once in a while he would handle in the open court and it still wouldn't look very good, but he would do it and he would take really, really bad turnarounds. Um, and that got him, you know, ranked as number one. In addition to being, uh, you know, a seven-one uh, gargantuan human being, um, but yeah, I think falling for perimeter flashes with Walker while being so cognizant of that being a problem with big men in in uh, ranking at that age was not good. Um, and especially with a guy who's six-seven, like you don't have you don't have the margin for error that Wiseman does. Like you actually need to be a perimeter player. You can't just be a, a six-seven big man and be in. An, like a real NBA prospect it, it, barring like super outlier Draymond Green types. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that buying into perimeter flashes for a guy whose game had to be centered on the perimeter was, was really bad process. Uh, and like, there were still, I think, defensive flashes from Walker this year, but I am I'm, I'm certainly not buying him as an NBA prospect anymore. Uh, I guess I'm curi- mildly curious to see what he turns into at UCF. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was not a good miss by me.
0: Yeah, I think, um, well, what I'm maybe fortunate I, I didn't, I, I didn't end up catching is like high school games. Cause I was never aware of those flashes. I think, you know, it's something that our friend Mike Grivenoff talks a lot about. Um, and it's like how much value to place in these, like not prep level high school games. Cause I mean, if like, if, uh, like a legitimate prospect, does not look very, very good against lower level high school competition like that's a big issue because it's just so low level um obviously when you're when you're talking about schools like like montverde and img and and patrick school it should just be noted with walker
2: that he was a good aau player like this is not a situation where where he just dominated a lower level like like oscar shibwe like dominated I think pretty low level of high school basketball and then played uh UA I think so he wasn't even playing UIBL and he was very very good in that but um, yeah but but I'm just saying that like uh Walker Walker played UIBL and was was good in that too yeah
0: I'm just again as
2: as more of like a big man type
0: yeah I'm just using to make the point that again skeptical of guys who are like outlierly dominant or even like just not dominant, like especially guys who are not super dominant and are considered to be prospects, especially if they're like really, really toolsy or athletic at these lower levels. Um, that's that's like a massive, massive red flag for me. And, you know, I think that's that's an important teaching point. But yeah, I mean, I just wasn't really see it with Walker. I, 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 again, in Oregon, I, I mean, there was, there were some interesting flashes of, of like rim protection because he is a really good athlete and he plays really hard. Well, so so that'll get him on the floor in in college probably all four years. Uh, I mean, I see him being a contributor at this level. But, again, just doesn't really do anything on offense. Like, there's, like, the odd, like, random, like, movement shooting three flash or, like, close out attacking flash. But, again, like, it's very clear he can't dribble. He doesn't really have any feel um, at the college level. Yeah, I mean, again, like, like at UCF, uh, I mean, I get, get mildly curious to see. Um, because like I mean, he's definitely more likely to crack the rotation at UCF than at Oregon. So yeah,
2: because or- Oregon has already a lot of six, seven big men who can't shoot.
0: <laughs> yeah, and they and they have like actual big men. Who can't <laughs> shoot for, like, yeah,
2: I, the the perimeter flashes thing is big though. Like I I I needed to be more consistent on that. I mean, not even more consistent. I needed to be like harder on that with a with a wing type guy. Or like a wing forward type guy because you know it's that's your whole offensive
1: game as opposed to a big man where that's just
2: added value.
1: Yeah, with with this like intermediate size uh, hyper athlete like like Walker is uh, with you know feel issues, it's really important that they go to a developmental situation where the athleticism can be leveraged and the feel can be gradually worked on, um, and the Oregon situation just wasn't that. Um, it's difficult for anyone to develop feel in low minutes or um, in low exposure, especially when they're not immediately playing downhill. And I just felt like Walker was put in no situation to really succeed um, if he didn't, you know, become a great shooter uh, overnight or over the summer. And um, again, if you are a prospect who is require requires specific situations to succeed you need to go to a place where those situations are met and that's why UCF is encouraging Uh, I've really liked what like the spacing that they've had and I really liked uh, the ex's nose so he seems like somebody who I would probably bet on doing insane things uh, at at UCF uh, on a nightly basis which to me is going to be more essential for his development yeah
2: uh, should we move on to a very, very different player now in Isaiah Mobley, the uh, USC big man, older brother of, uh, I don't know, he's not still, I don't think the number one recruit in the high school class of 2020, but among the top recruits, Evan Mobley, uh, they'll be playing together next year at USC. Um, so I, I I don't know what you guys uh, thought of Mobley coming into the year. I liked him, but uh, PD, you want to give your, your pre-college Mobley take? I was really high on Evan
1: Mobley. Or I was really uh, high on Isaiah. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of Jonte Porter. And mm-hmm. uh, I was looking to the Jonte Porter colored glasses, um, mm-hmm. just seeing somebody who was super high feel uh, with Compton Magic when they would roll out the two Mobleys plus on Yaka. There'd be a lot of ball handling for him. And I thought the ball handling plus shooting flashes were going to be enough to uh, force him into these like high post jumpers a lot and force him into uh, a modern usage, even if USC didn't tilt that way. Uh, And didn't really get any of that this year at USC. Yeah, Yeah, I was a big Isaiah Mobley guy as well. Like
2: he was... Really, really smart. And I mean, both of the Mobleys are such good passers, such good ball handlers. Like Isaiah Mobley, you're talking about like a 6'11 big man who was running pick and roll and stuff and like legitimately initiating offense, uh, which was, I mean, not just cool, but a demonstration of really high skill level and feel. Uh, but yeah, he's not a very good athlete and doesn't really have any way to score, not nearly a good enough shooter. Uh, and it was not a good <laughs> freshman year at USC.
0: Yeah, I was a little lower on Mobley coming in. I, I still like them a lot, especially as to consensus. But I was a little more worried about the frame and about the shot translating. And I think that definitely came to fruition at USC. One, I mean, USC just being a far from ideal context. You know, Playing with poor spacing, playing next to other bigs who you know, often weren't very good passers. or are decision makers like Mobley. Um, and then just not being able to handle, you know, the the physical demands of, you know, playing big at the college level. I mean, I, I recently just remember, you know, like it was like that Colorado at USC game where, where Tyler Bay just annihilated him on on both ends with, and just being more athletic and more physical. And obviously Bay is like an incredible defender and a pretty good athlete. But that, that happened a lot at USC when he played and there just wasn't consistent minutes. And then, I mean, offensively, like, the past, like, like he just wasn't given a leash to to handle and, and to make decisions in the past. And he wasn't, and the scoring was pretty miserable. I mean, I, I, we were talking about this before. His true shooting against top 50 and his true shooting against, and all competitions, were, were miserable. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but somebody here might. Um, yeah, th- those, were, those were really bad. Um, I'm at least excited to get more, Get at least one more full season of Evan and, and Isaiah playing together next season when Isaiah goes to USC because those two have some really, really fun chemistry uh, when they're on the floor together. So, like, that'll be fun. I have yeah,
1: shooting I, in front of me. Yeah, uh, I think it is um, 50.9 for all and 36.5 against top 50. Not ideal.
2: Um. I'm excited for the reunion because Isaiah during his senior year and Evan during his junior year at Rancho Christian was like the best show in high school basketball. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I I think one of the things to point out with Isaiah for sure is age that he was already old, but then uh, once USC published uh, like birth dates for their, for their roster, it turned out that he was a year older, I think than everyone thought. So he'll be 21 in September as a sophomore, which is super, super old um and just i mean he was able to overcome physical deficiencies at lower levels and profited off of certain physical uh advantages like namely you know it's just size uh, length yeah i mean and he he uses uh his length well or at least did at lower levels um but yeah just it kind of ties into me with like the whole Grant Williams and Xavier Tillman thing, that you do need you do need some way to score, uh, and I think that's that's abundantly clear when you look at like I remember talking about this last year in reference to like Thibault I think it was, um, where like guys who are not scorers in the NBA still are pretty accomplished in larger roles at lower levels. So even if you look at someone like Draymond Green, like. Draymond was a 16 point a game guy on 54 true shooting as a senior at Michigan State. Like that's not a dominant scorer by any means, but that is a guy who has some sort some baseline level of skills and athleticism and and like finishing ability that he can do stuff on offense. Whereas when you're Isaiah Mobley, who's like you know 6'11 and can't really jump and is not nearly a good enough shooter, like you don't really have any way to score. And even if you're not going to be an offensive hub, like you do need to be able to do something on the offensive end. Uh, and I, I think that so when you're starting at a level as low as high school AAU, like you need to be quite a good offensive player. And then in college, you need to at the very least be pretty solid. And and Mobley is not that
1: right now. Yeah, for me, the example that I go back to for you got to score is that Pat, Bad, Pat Bev averaged a forty ball in high school. Uh, <laughs> and like but that's it's a really true. Yeah, like it's, yeah, it's, it's super true. Uh, it's one of those things. It's like, well, NBA players are good. It's like, but you don't realize quite how good they are at lower levels until you follow, you know, them historically. Um, so, mm-hmm. a conversation that I've had more and more is when I'm going through tape. Um, there's just a voice in the back of my head that says, "Show me the easy buckets that you can get in the half court," and just like the things that will translate most often are just like, "Can you get point blank looks? Can you get open shots?" And with Mobley, he had 11 dunk attempts this year. And that's, like, really, really, really... Attempts. Not even dunks. <laughs> Just attempts. Um, I think that, like, when you go through, he takes a lot of stuff that, like, is unnecessarily difficult because of his frame. Like, his feel is super high. Um, The main lesson that I take away, other than show me the easy looks, is that not everybody will use players in optimal context, and you have to price that into how you evaluate them. Like, I would have used Evan Mobley as a ball handler this year um, and run a whole bunch of, like, Onyeka... Evan Mob or I say Mobley do that all the time. Uh, I would run a bunch of Mobley Onyeka pick and roll because like they're both sick. They're both giant people. Like fuck you. This is what we're gonna do. Um, and that's not what happened. Uh, USC played three bigs all the time. And when evaluating players, it's important to price in though like Andy Enfield might disagree with everything you believe in and can tank players uh, usage because of it.
0: Yeah, but I think it's okay. go ahead, Ben. I was. Gonna, I, I think the scoring point is really important, and I think like, I think of you know something that like uh, Ben Rubin Stepian talked about a lot in the past. Something that I tried to like try to you know i have kind of adapted. It's just like if you're like a fifth offensive player level offensive player, you better be really good on defense. Like have something to make up for it to really make it. I mean, the guy I think of like who I loved a lot last year was like who fit this bill was like the Quan Jeffries, who just couldn't really do anything on offense besides being like high feel and like maybe shoot spot ups and obviously he's like a very different player to Mobley being an awesome defender but like Mobley again like really high feel obviously can, can potentially dribble if he's given the right situations but i mean if he's not put in positions to key, that's one and if he doesn't have you know the, the the frame to you know not get pushed off of his spots every time he tries to dribble or you know the frame or the or the burst to you know get any kind of open shots you know he he's a guy that needs a lot of scheming to to, to add the, the optimum value. And he's a guy who's likely never going to get the level of scheming he needs to to really make the most out of his awesome feel and his awesome passing as, you know, a 6'11 big man. Because, I mean, again, like PD said, I mean, if USC is going to play him at, like, the three and just, like, stick him in the corner or, or on the block, which was often the case playing, I mean, playing next to Onyeka and, like, Nick was it was a really, really bad situation for Mobley. And it's not going to get any better next year. Um, I, I mean, it's going to get marginally better because he's going to have his brother to play with. But in terms of roster construction and lineup fit, I don't see him getting much better. So yeah, I mean, again, it's just important to consider not only context, but you know, how these uh, how how their skills fit in conjunction, and and how these other skills unlock you know the the passing and the and the the and the dribbling that he shows, or how they don't unlock it.
2: The scoring point is like doubly true when when your appeal is like Mobley as just like this ultra high feel guy who can kind of like create for others in a in a way that's abnormal for a guy his size because it's not it's not like he was you know a Draymond level uh, defensive player like he he, yeah. he did interesting things on defense but a lot of the appeal with him was was that he's the super high feel offensive guy yeah. um, so I think it's just even more true that you need to be able to score somehow.
0: Yeah, and I think just, uh, I mean, as we've kind of seen, um, I think like an overarching theme with a lot of the guys we've talked about and some of the, and guys we're going to keep talking about is just like that frame is so important, like Hurt, Trey Mann, um, now Mobley. It's just like having functional strength is so incredibly valuable even at the college level, um, and, and like especially like understanding how that functional strength um, allows a player to, well, allows a player to use and inhibits a player from making the most out of his other skills. It's like a thing that we have, like, you have to, it's so important to consider.
2: Should we move on now to the Kentucky wing forwards, uh, Khalil Whitney and Keon Brooks?
0: sure it. um so khalil whitney um both of you guys were pretty highly ranked um in rsci whitney i think higher than brooks last year and you know whitney kind of broke out on the UBL circuit last year as you know this impressive athletic score but the issue with him has always been just a atrociously low field i think aau stats has him at about a 0.45 assisted turnover ratio and i think that might even be generous i mean the like the passing and and the general court awareness was so so bad. I mean I, I I mean he couldn't run a pick and roll and handle a trap without throwing the ball away. Um, didn't make any sort of advanced passes. And, and while he was a good athlete, certainly and you know could shoot. A, I mean his shot was unbroken. Um, it it was just always going to be harder for him to find a place. And in Kentucky, this was, you know, even more true than I think most of us thought. I mean, I was pretty low on Whitney coming in. I had him in the late fifties, but even he disappointed relative to my low expectations. I mean, he couldn't do anything offensively, just was never able to find a stride, um, was never able to, you know, that crippling feel was evident anytime he touched the ball. Defensively, I didn't think he was that horrible because again, like he's pretty big and he's athletic. And he can move fairly well, but again, like he's not a four um, and he's just like lacks so much feel on that end uh, to make it work. And again, I mean, he was just so poor at Kentucky that he ended up, you know, not even finishing the season with the team. Um, So yeah, Whitney was really, really rough um, at this year at Kentucky and pretty much disappointed everyone's expectations. So why don't we get PD's take on Whitney, you know, pre-college?
1: I got to see Whitney in UIBL and uh, in his high school setting and Um, the volume is something that jumps out for me in both of those. Like if you look through the AAU stats, he's consistently taking, you know, 15, 16, 17, 20, 22 shots in these circumstances. And I thought that as a scorer, like he really did start to develop as a senior year in high school, but it was like, it was mostly flashes. Um, And the 40% EYBL number that's on AAU stats for three point shooting uh, for his two motion shot kind of scared me. I, I, Obviously, you don't want to take people when they're hot, and it it felt like uh, a lot of Whitney's uh, shooting was unsustainable, especially because of how much it was off the dribble. And in high school, that wasn't just as much of that. Um, Effort-based guys are always difficult to grade out when they are in smaller roles uh, because there's just no guarantee that they get to get the same shots and that there's no guarantee that they'll get the same effort. Um, That was a thing that you heard a little bit out of Kentucky was that, like, you know, Whitney had uh, his mind elsewhere at times. Um, and I don't know, I think he was overranked a little bit, but he also went to a place, Kentucky, very similar to Duke, where if you don't have a skill that you can hang your hat on and produce in the moments that you're given, um, Wendy and Gabriel talked about this pretty publicly with Jaden McDaniels that, like, if you can't do a thing the moment you step on the court, uh, you kind of got to go back to the lab and figure it out because Kentucky is a place for production.
2: Yeah, I think that it's it's worth pointing out with Whitney that he was highly regarded. Like he was, I think, in the mainstream, like ESPN, Athletic was firmly lottery, possibly even top ten for both of them. Uh, But he was a very highly regarded player, and that I do not think uh, aligned with what he did in high school because I mean he was not good. Uh, He
0: was eleventh in RSCI.
2: Yeah, there were. I mean, the decision making, frankly, was just catastrophic with him not to mention that like the creation was totally fraudulent because like he couldn't dribble like he would he would anytime he tried to like create for himself would like dribble off his own feet and like th- like just throw to, throw the ball to the other team like he was pretty horrendous and i i bought in a little bit uh based on just at a certain point a guy with a non-broken shot and very plus athleticism at six seven I thought was worth something, but that was sort of in the late, like fringe first area, not in the lottery. Uh, But my, my kind of takeaway from that is that this is the flip side of the thing that I've said with Pat Williams about if you're, you know, wing big wing sized and just not bad while being very young, that's super valuable. Like that's something worth betting on. But if you're actively bad, which I think was the case with Whitney, then it like that rule is out the door. Like you can't you can't be actively destructive with um you know tendencies and uh skills I guess or lack of skills that are actively harmful to a team like where you have built up these bad habits and and um and bad tendencies like that I think is not an appealing uh you know prospect whereas with with Williams simply like not being bad while being that size and age is is worthwhile um but yeah i mean it's just it's i think whitney's a classic example of don't buy tools that have little uh you know basketball impact uh buy, you know buy functional basketball traits don't buy leaping ability or uh you know a, a good body if if the actual basketball traits are not good
1: i don't have a historical recruiting um table active i remember whitney being a pretty late riser in the process um so i think that he kind of went from let's see i have it here i th- think he went from like a guy in the 50s and 60s into the yeah he wasn't ranked uh in march of 2018 then he was 80s 32 20 and then by signing day he was top 10 so this is somebody who had like always had the tools and It started to click together at a at a high school level much later, and there's kind of two pathways I've experienced from that. Either those like that continues as a like it clicks for them in college, the tools that they have in high school like firmly the reads that they're making are the same, or they're just a little bit slower to process the game, and that feel will sort of replicate itself in college, where late bloomers will have a second late blooming process as they adjust those reads that may have worked in high school as a senior to not working again as a freshman. So that's always something that you should keep an eye on is the historical recruiting rating ranking Not that RSCI is perfect. Again, Desmond Bain was not ranked. Devin Vassell was a two-star. Like it's not to say that it's perfect, but the development arc and recruitment arcs are important for these prospects, especially these prospects in the six, eight to six, eight, six, six to six, eight range, because when it clicks, it can really, really click.
2: Yeah. Should we talk now a little bit about Keon Brooks, his Kentucky teammate, um, a, di- a different player, but flawed. In- similarly, in many ways. Uh, PD, you want to give your uh, pre-college Keon Brooks take?
1: Yeah. Um, I thought Brooks was a long-term guy. Um, Lalu tends to turn out uh, fundamentally solid um, wings who may take a little more time to get used to. A system like Kentucky's and I just, I didn't really understand the one and done philosophy for him. He just seemed for me more of a guy who was a two or a three year player who didn't have something that would immediately put him on the floor. Um, where were you guys at with him?
0: Yeah. I mean, I pretty much came away for a similar conclusion. I think on my earliest board, I ended up with him in like the seventies. Um, Cause I mean, yeah, like, like Brooks is at his core, just like an energy guy. Um, like an energy kind of rebounding kind of wing with like a fine shot i mean again like the shot was nothing special but it was good i don't have the numbers in front of me but i, I remember them being fine enough um like again n- nothing really worth writing home about and yeah i just not no bankable skill on offense uh n- n- not really able to dribble or, or self-create or, or pass or, or be or, or finish at a high level uh just someone who was going to come in and like give you energy and motor off the bench um, you know, play solid positional defense. Um, and that's kind of what he did uh, for Kentucky this year in a fairly small sample. But yeah, I mean definitely in, in agreement there that he's not someone who I ever thought was going to be a one done type um, kind of met my expectations. I would say, or was fairly close to them at Kentucky um, if, if disappointed a little bit.
2: Yeah. I, I had Brooks in the seventies or something as well on my initial board. Um, he was kind of like Whitney to me, not as catastrophic of a decision maker, but still pretty bad, uh, but less from an athletic tools uh, standpoint. And I, I don't remember how I felt about his shot in comparison to Whitney, but I, I was not particularly high on Brooks's shot even. Um, honestly, he probably exceeded my expectations at Kentucky because he carved out a real role, uh, and I kind of thought it would be the other way around, that Brooks was kind of going to be the one that would entirely flame out and Whitney would kind of carve out a minor role, um, so I was I was mildly surprised, but I mean, long term, I'm still completely out on both of these guys. Uh, I I would imagine you guys feel similarly, but is is I mean, does anyone even want to make the case for being in on either of these guys long term?
0: I mean, Whitney is like entering the draft at this,
2: yeah. at this point, probably, right? I, I, like, I, I don't even yeah, I, know what's gonna happen with him.
1: Yeah, because I mean, he, man,
2: so he, he like left. He left Kentucky midway through the year, right? And had initially it seemed like he was going to transfer, and then or he heard, just decu-
0: overseas pro league,
2: or yeah, and then yeah. he just declared for the draft.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe like you chuck him in the G League as like a wing with tools, and like you know, send him to Toronto and like pray that. They can squeeze something. Ben, ben,
2: ben wants to send all of the like bad but kind of athletic guys to Toronto, and they <laughs> that what happens?
0: <laughs> That's what happens
1: anyway. Well, yeah. I, I think they generally shoot for guys who are like no. good, bad, yeah. like
0: yeah, yeah, I guess. But you know, there's I not think... really a
1: historical way forward. Like there's yeah. uh, with like the decision making that I had with Whitney is like if you drop out, you need to have a plan immediately. Like no matter what, yeah. you have to do do it boldly, and you just didn't hear from him for like a month. You know, yeah. then videos I mean, pop up of him. Really Not
0: much about Whitney at this point. I mean, I, I, the last we heard from him was like in Aprilish when the original deadline for the draft was, was hitting, and then the news came out that he was going to enter his name in the draft, and we have heard nothing.
1: Um, so, well, from Whitney, I believe. If, so imagine a world where both of you two are advising like Khalil Whitney. Like what? What is the? What is it that you would tell him to get back onto radars? Because like I've struggled with this yeah. for two months. It's like I don't exactly know what you're supposed to do in his situation.
2: So I think that currently I think ESPN actually still has him ranked in like the 80s. Um, maybe that's changed, but I think last I checked they still had him ranked. So if you can ride RSCI to like getting onto a G, so they have haven't ranked like 74th. If you can ride that RSCI into a spot on a G League team, I would go for it. Like just get in the get in the building with a G League team and try to get an NBA team invested in you. Like, at the end of the day, he is 6'7", with a, I think, non-broken shot is a fair way to put it, and, like, good run-jump athleticism. That is still a rare commodity, even if you are as limited as a basketball player as he is. Um, So I would try to use that RSCI to latch on in the G League um, and just hope that, you know, someone can... Can mold from there, but I don't know. He's in a tough position. That like, yeah. th- that this situation played out terribly.
0: I mean, it him. depends on what the feedback is, really. Then I mean, it if he could actually get onto a G League team, like like Max said, ride that RCI. I, I all for it. You know, get get the money you can, and you know, just hope you hope you can take that summer. I'm probably more realistic with him. With him for me would be to, like transfer to you know lower caliber, lower caliber school. Try to find a place where we can carve out a more consistent role, be afforded the luxury to to play and make mistakes and play through mistakes, and hopefully try to develop some more basketball skill at some maybe mid or low major. Is that's probably what he's tended for. I don't really think there's any high major rotation that has much use for Whitney at this point. Um,
1: I, I assume I just assumed he wasn't eligible. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just yeah. I just mean yeah. I mean
0: yeah, you have to sit out
1: probably this year. It's difficult because, like, well, when you transfer out of a, a high major school, you already have a little bit working against you. And that, like, the people who are the most powerful in the leagues year, you know, kind of cast you to the side. Um, I know that's not exactly how the situation in Kentucky played out, but, like, bombing out of Kentucky isn't really a great place to start for anybody. And, yeah, like, exactly. people like Brian Bowen didn't exactly make a name for themselves overseas. Like, he's a better prospect than Bowen is. Um, but yeah, Owen still found his way. I mean, into the Pacers yeah. organization and la- right. and and landed a two-way. So yeah, I mean, the G League is probably the best bet for him. Um, I would also probably try to get like if you can get him into like Spanish B, that would also probably be interesting because they're probably going to use him as a as a straight four. Um, you know, for for guys like him, there's he hasn't had as much experience in his NBA role, um, you know, or what his NBA role projects to be. So getting there as soon as possible is uh, is an interesting one. I just I I feel for Khalil Whitney just because like you know we've all been in situations where you get things don't go according to plan and maybe one of the more interesting long term like how does this play out situations of this draft.
2: Yeah, I think that going to Spanish B is a lot to ask of a 19 year old who is just a top 11 or a CI guy. Um, I I would think the move for him has to be try to latch on in the G League somewhere, but. Yeah, I mean it's it's a pretty brutal situation for him. Got 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 a feel for him. Um, should we talk now about someone who like slightly disappointed, but I think is still a pretty solid prospect in Oscar
0: Sheboy. Following the senseless murders of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and countless other black community members at the hands of police officers, we want to ensure that we do what we can to make a tangible impact on those communities as we grow. Armchair Media will be issuing four $500 scholarships per semester to aspiring black creatives. If you've ever been dismissed as having an unrealistic career path, if you've ever butted heads with parents or teachers because they don't recognize exactly what you want to do with your life, if you have feared to express yourself or put your work into the world due to potential backlash we strongly encourage you to apply we recognize that there are creatives out there who may have bypassed college to pursue other avenues who didn't get into college because their passions didn't translate to coll- collegiate testing or who did not have access to the financial means to pay for college this is why there are only three requirements for eligibility black creative under the age of 21 and you submit a project graphic design photography writing audio video journalism creative writing to scholarship at armchairallamericans.com. That's scholarship at armchairallamericans.com. Sure.
2: So uh, Oscar Shibway is a 6'9 center who played at West Virginia this year. Uh, he was pretty good. Uh, he is a crazy, like, basically a rebounding specialist. Um, he is a, a good one. A, good one. Uh, uh-huh. a very high motor player, a an outlier, outlier mover. Like, he. The this is a guy who uh, was it the first game of the year or not the first game of the year but one of the early games was just like making Xavier Johnson one of the, like the better guard athletes in college basketball look really bad just with his his ridiculous side to side movement for a guy who's six nine and well like, 200, like 250. yeah two hundred and fifty pounds uh, yeah he's enormous the thing that was most disappointing to me about well act two things were really disappointing about Oscar this year uh he was a really below the rim player this year. And I, I, you know, I didn't think he was like a crazy leaper coming into the year. His 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 freakish athleticism was more in the moving side to side and the uh, moving in a straight line, just crazy ground coverage guy. Uh, but he was he was really below the, the rim this year. Uh, I I don't have Bart up right now, but if one of you could check the dunk numbers, twenty seven ducks. Yeah, so that's not good.
0: Not great. Um,
2: yeah, so really a below the rim player, and then. Pretty much a total black hole in offense. And that one I think was pretty predictable. He was a major processor in high school. Really, really slow decision maker. Uh, and that translated big time to West Virginia. Not just slow decisions, but simply never passing the ball. Um, nonetheless, as a rotation big man who can move really well and still has like legit center, uh, I don't want to say size because he is a little small height-wise, but length and strength
0: physically you think he can hold up with some fives. Yeah,
2: he can hold up with fives and is a really 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 good mover. Uh so in that sense still fairly interesting. I think like he wasn't a crazy stock guy this year but was still a pretty good defensive player. Um he had some some pretty impressive uh like off-ball team defense moments where he was just like shutting off multiple things on one possession and and it, the ground coverage is is really good. Uh but definitely disappointed is very old. Um you know, it, like like Ben had mentioned earlier, he's he's one of those guys who um, kind of was dominating at a, at a or I guess I mentioned this not Ben but was dominating at a low level of high school competition. Uh, I think his UA stuff was kind of hard to find as well.
1: Um, I think he yeah, played
0: Adidas.
2: Uh, oh, sorry, Adidas. Um, <laughs> PD, what was what was your take on on Oscar coming into the year?
1: Um, yeah, I think that he's disappointing because if you view him through the lens of being older and being a draft winner person um, where you know the straight line speed, some of these like really fun tools that he had, he kind of had to blow everything out of the water this year. That was sort of the pathway for him to get drafted. Otherwise, he gets less interesting every single year. Um, pre-college, um, I thought that there was a case for him to be better than Isaiah Stewart for sort yeah. of the same role. So I Yeah. And, you know, he he of the I nuked James Wiseman in a couple of practices that got people hyped. He this isn't mentioned as much, but the third day or the, the after they came back, I think it was a, like uh, an all-American thing. Like Wiseman gave Sheway the breaks. And uh, that's sort of been the biggest difficulty for me with Sheway is that he doesn't punish like the the people who aren't built like him quite enough. Like he doesn't put skinny dudes all the way in the rim and doesn't make them get them all the way off the floor, uh, which is certainly a possibility. Like we don't talk about skinny centers getting played off the floor just for not being in the weight room enough, I think. And I thought that that was going to be something that happened a lot this year was that you know you can put Boy in there and people under 200 pounds just aren't been into the club. And I didn't feel like that happened enough to offset his other difficulties.
0: Yeah, and I don't think I mean I don't think West Virginia is the best spot as like a crazy great spot for Oscar. I mean, defensively, you know, it helps. Um, and he, like Max said, he was pretty good defensively, you know, being able to use that mobility um, as just a versatile defender, you know, with his crazy size. And yeah, I mean, not crazy stocks, but still like a five-ish block percentage, which... Again,
2: ben, are you I mean, saying that you don't like the pairing with Derek Culver?
0: It's, it's not my favorite. Um,
1: I like the fit better I- next year.
0: Yeah, exactly. yeah, as do I. Um again, glad to see that, but Culver, you know, I Culver is not a good pairing with with Oscar. They played a lot of minutes together. Um with a lot of Oscar at like the four kind of and that's really just not uh, an optimal role for him in, in any capacity. Um like with like more space to be used as a roller, even though like again, like, like I think he has more vertical ability than he showed this year. Um and again, just being such an outlier mover, being able to get up and down the floor I mean, in the, get up and down the floor in the half court really quickly and, and move around in space. Um, spacing will be important for him. I mean, as it is for every prospect, but I think important for, for Oscar. And then not really having a lot of high-level passes around him. I mean, I mean, we all love Deuce McBride, but Deuce McBride has his issues as a passer. And West Virginia really doesn't have any, like, high-level creators on that team. I mean, they never really do. That's just not their thing. Um and, th- and again, Oscar struggles for that as as being a guy who I mean, unlike the some of the Giannis stuff he did in high school, um is not going to be anyone who's like able to dribble or create. Even though I mean, I, I think he probably can like dribble a little more than he showed because I mean, like, beyond like the low-levelized competition in like the Adidas tape that I see, like there, there were some like genuine handling flashes in the open floor and in the half court. Again, got to. Be, care- be careful with these flashes but i think that's something he could potentially do if given the opportunity but yeah it's just like i, I like it, it it hurts me to be skeptical about oscar going forward because i'm such i love him so much and like he's such a fun prospect i really do believe in his skill set I, I just the fit at west virginia is is, is not something that, that landed well this year and it, like like PD said i think it's gonna be better next year without Culver. um and you know uh, hopefully deuce, deuce mcbride can you know make improvements and like and Isaiah Cottrell is good coming in. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, someone who I'm, I'm hopeful, like, off, like hopeful, like pessimistically kind of um, about, but I'm hopeful that he, you
1: know, he ends up improving next year. Yeah, Cottrell is yeah. my second favorite uh, hunting prep guy uh, last year. I mean, I've, I've never I've, I've never been interested in breakfield even a little bit, but I think that Cottrell and uh, and Oscar is interesting. Uh, Max, you want to get to the what we learned or what we can take away from this?
2: Um. What? Uh. If, I mean, if you have something, I didn't have anything in mind actually. So, if you have something in mind,
1: uh, go ahead with it. Yeah, it's that. Um, how much? I think a big thing for I for Oscar was like looking at his uh his AAU translation and like the amount to which the uh non synergy stats are like jacked up is is something I really really didn't take away enough. I don't think that I listened to like the people who do data mining for the the big uh scouting services seriously enough and then like in the year sense really listening to like their concerns about how unclean the data is. Like his numbers are ones that I feel like if we went back to some of his most eye-popping things maybe a touch lower and, you know, not having those numbers clean also means that it's hard to get a a really firm grasp on how watered down the bottom half of each sneaker circuit is. So some of those games, if you can get, you know, uh, a ranking among among the teams and then sort of grade it from there, I think that Oscar definitely murdered uh, the bottom section more than I was willing to admit at the time.
0: Yeah, and for me, it's just you know that and you know a, a reinforcement of, of being careful with these prospects who are kind of black holes. 'Cause that's one of the just the most difficult, you know, aspects of a player's game to overcome. I mean, just like the, the list of, you know, all time draft busts is is littered with these low assist to turnover ratio, no feel guys. And obviously Oscar, I mean, is not is, is a very good for different reasons, but just just have to be really good to make up for like a total inability to move the ball or create for yourself or or, or move the ball, make decisions create for others. Um, yeah I, yeah, I mean, just make just that, you know, that that's really important to to look at.
2: This is kind of turned into the I eat crow for all of my mistakes, uh, preseason, uh, episode, yeah. but cause I, I don't know where you guys were at on Oscar, but I, I had him quite high.
0: I had um, him borderline top 10, if not in the top 10.
2: Okay. Then actually then you, yeah. you, um, you had him higher than I did then, but yeah,
0: I, <laughs> be I, I will eat be- all of the crow.
2: Yeah, I guess my thing with Oscar is like, what was the idea of him as a guy worth like a lottery pick? Like, because I just don't know. Like, offensively, he was always going to be at best like a good role man, I guess, or a guy a guy who um, who can handle in transition. Like, like that's really it offensively. So, like, was the idea of him as a really really dominant defensive player? Because I mean I thought he was a really good defensive player like I thought that he was pretty smart and I thought his physical tools were kind of ridiculous. but even then like he wasn't like a god-tier defensive prospect. so I'm I, I think that I definitely got just like I don't know I just I, I would have to think more critically about about what I was doing ranking him that highly, but I'm not sure what the idea of was what the idea of Oscar was that he would be that high end of a prospect. Yeah. As opposed to just like a late first type at best who could be, I guess, soaking up a lot of minutes as a, as a starting center who, well, I mean, th- then again, I mean, it, you know what, it's probably kind of similar to the idea of what Wiseman is now, that this is a guy who can play a lot of minutes and even more so than than Wiseman is a guy who could actually survive on the floor late in the game on account of his movement ability. But then you run into the issues with the offense there and, you know, that's, that's pretty damaging on that end. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I don't yeah, know I mean, what your
0: my, idea was. Yeah, I was mean, my idea was one. I, I I I did buy in a lot. I think I still am probably more optimistic than you on your know, honest defensive ability. Um, just, you know, being a guy at that level of physical tools and that level of movement, um, I really bought into that value. Um, and I probably I, I probably didn't uh didn't place enough concern on his age, and I probably put too much into some of the handling and passing flashes not even talking about his high school games because you know i mean i put too much into some of the handling stuff he did in aau um so um yeah i mean again um i probably you know again like it was just a tough class to rank even then um so um yeah i mean i wasn't sure about oscar again wouldn't have him top 10. i think i probably in a re-rank would still have him like a lottery kind lottery or a little below lottery um I'm, i still believe in that defense, but yeah, i I was too high on him. i That was a mistake. So. And th- this really is the eating crow episode for all, for a lot of us, and I think people are gonna enjoy that.
2: So I, I guess like h- how do you guys feel about Oscar going forward now? Yeah, I know, I, I know I ben, gave, yeah, 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 I yeah you would, you' would expressed um some pessimism, but but like also hopeful. Um, PD, how do you, how do you feel about about Oscar going forward
1: now? I mean, as an older big, he has to show Xavier Tillman's type things to be truly interesting. Now, like the the physical domination has to get even more heightened. Uh, the feel has to be heightened, and he's probably has to flash shooting to return to the level of hyped prospecthood that he was at, even by the most conservative uh, of people in draft Twitter. Uh, I think that that's reasonable. He's going to be in a much better context next year. But for older players, they have to have a a much higher level of improvement because the freshman is going to come in and be you know the shiny new toy.
2: I think that's fair. i uh, what I'll say in in Oscar's favor is that I kind of view him as like a similar tier prospect to someone like Zeke Naji, where I think that he is a kind of niche big, but it's a valuable niche um, in that he can be this guy who is who is like a really really plus move mover like he can be your switch well probably not your switch big but he can be a mobile big for you while also having the physical ability to be an actual center um i think that's fairly appealing so like i don't think that's someone who ever rises to the level of hype that he had achieved on draft twitter but i do think that that can be a pretty solid prospect like a like a solid second round prospect Uh, And that's kind of where I'm at on Oscar going forward is like a solid second round guy, but certainly not hyping him up in the lottery range anymore.
0: All right. So I think we should cut it for this part. Yeah.
2: Yeah, let's uh, let's cut yeah. it and then we'll see. We've we have had so yeah, you many you guys don't
0: know. Yeah, I mean the, the listeners won't know that we've had a lot of technical difficulties. Uh they never know, but right now you're going to know. It, yeah, it's it, been
2: all this afternoon. Th- this has been the most disastrous episode ever.
0: <laughs> so, if- <laughs> it's- Thank God for Squadcast, the, the program we use to record this. Yeah, and if, if, if the stations. content
2: is, is good in spite of it, I mean, bo- bonus points for us. But if not, great on, on a curve. It's not our fault. <laughs> it's so, not yeah. my
1: fault. I, I had none of the technical difficulties. Okay,
2: yeah,
0: it, I think it's, it's not say... my fault
2: that the East Coast has been hit by a monsoon and I have very unreliable Wi-Fi and power. I mean,
0: it's kind of your fault you have a bad computer. I mean, that's not really <laughs> Okay. Um. So let's let's outro this thing. Uh, thank you, thank you all so much for, for, for listening to this part. You can follow PD on Twitter um, at Above the Break Three. Um, we all love his work. Recently did a Desmond Bain thing. Um, you should go read it. You should go read it. Um, follow the follow the pod at Prep Number Two Pro Pod. We have very close to 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts. Um, what are we like 93, 94? Uh, we're up to like 97, I think. Oh wow. So yeah, let's get us to 100. That would be sick um, those help a lot. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore follow Max at Max A. Carlin, and that's going to be it for part one. So thank you for listening and we'll see you later.